Thank you for listening to the Collective Church Podcast. Collective is a church for the rest of us, and whether you call Collective your church home or you are just checking us out, we hope you are encouraged and inspired to take the next step in your journey toward the grace and truth of Jesus. For more information about Collective, you can visit us online at mycollective.church or follow us on social media at mycollectivechurch. Now, let's get into today's message. We're going to start today with some crowd participation, and I know introverts just died a little bit, but don't worry, you're not interacting with people around you, you're just going to be interacting with me a little bit. So as I've been doing research for this series, thank God it's Monday, I ran into a few websites that ranked the top TV shows from the 90s. And the most annoying part is I kind of go through these websites, is they all claim a different show as the best show. And so I want your opinion. This is, gonna, this is gonna how I know if I like first service or second service better, depending on how you answer this. Now listen, your favorite sh- show might not be on here. Some of you are gonna wonder where's Boy Meets World or Wonder Years or Twin Peaks or X-Files, and I feel you, I get it. But I'm just going, I, went, I literally looked at 20 websites and there were four shows that came up at the number one on every list. And they were The Simpsons, Friends, Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, and Seinfeld. Okay. So by a round, oh, this is good. So by a round of applause, how many of you think The Simpsons was the greatest show in the 90s? Oh, that's so sad. Oh, man. Okay, well, uh, let's see how the rest of this goes. Okay. Um, how many of you think Friends was the greatest show in the 90s? No. Okay, cool. Yeah, um, all right. Uh, how many of you think Fresh Prince of Bel-Air was the greatest show in the 90s? Okay, thank you. Okay. You redeemed that one. All right, and this is kind of the, the, the wild horse of the 90s, but how many of you think Seinfeld was the greatest show in the 90s? It's pretty good. Okay, both services think Fresh Prince is the greatest show of the 90s, so I like you both equally. Also, if you voted Friends, there's a good church down the road you can go to. Um, that shows, you know, we can talk about it later. So, but I think we can all agree that the 90s was really this, like, golden era of TV, right? TGIF. Saturday morning cartoons, American Gladiators on Saturday night. There's no better way to end a Saturday night than some dude shooting tennis balls at people as they run frantically through an obstacle course. Sometimes like when I'm up here, I just like wish, but not to you guys, first service, yeah. But if you loved 90s television as much as I did, one of your favorite shows was Saved by the Bell. And one of the most iconic episodes of Saved by the Bell involved Jesse. Now, Jesse is a lifelong friend of Zach Morris, who might be a sociopath. That's a whole different conversation. But he's the main character. And she's the smartest in the Saved by the Bell friend group. She's heavily involved in school. She serves on multiple committees at Bayside High. She's just a normal teenager. But in an episode of season two, Jesse starts to struggle. She gets a bad grade on a geometry exam, and that weighs on her because she's hoping to get into Stanford. Add that to the pressure of midterms, her friendships, her dating relationship with Slater, divorced parents, and a singing group called We Think Hot Sunday that she's a part of, the 90s man. But Jessie begins to cope with a busy schedule, and you guys will remember this, by taking caffeine pills so she can skip sleep and get more done. It's one of the most iconic Saved by the Bell episodes of all time. But it's super emotional because it ends with her hitting a breaking point. And as ridiculous as Saved by the Bell is, they were kind of onto something, Right? Even in the 90s, like pre-cell phones, pre-ability to connect with people 24 hours a day, even in a high school setting of Bayside High, this episode was a commentary on just how busy we make our lives and ultimately how that will lead us to a breaking point. Now, how real does that feel right now for you? Your life is so busy. 
It's meeting after meeting, event after event, project after project, chore after chore. We don't have any breathing room, but that doesn't stop us from cramming one more thing into our overcrowded life. And because of that, you feel tired. You feel frustrated. We feel like we're letting people down because we're not able to give our all to our relationships, to our careers, to our kids. And this lack of breathing room leaves us unable to actually enjoy the things in life that we value. And we know this, but something needs to change. And so we're in this series right now called Thank God It's Monday. And the whole goal of this series is to gain wisdom from the Bible so that we can take a few small steps that will help us have a better week. Right, small steps that will help us wake up on Monday morning, not dreading the day, but actually thinking, thank God it's Monday. Or maybe just hating it a little bit less. But ultimately, small steps that we can do right now that lead to big things in 2020. Last week, we talked about priorities, right? The things that you spend your time on. And I challenge you to make a list of the top 10 things that you say are a priority and to compare those to the top 10 ways that you actually spend your time, right? And I mentioned that most of us, if not all of us, have things in our life that we need to move up, we need to move down, or we need to completely remove from our list of priorities and our life. But the problem that many of you ran into last week is that you just do too much, And one thing that's missing from every single list, because I know it's missing from mine, was margin. I don't have margin in my life, so it's very hard for me to rearrange my priorities. It's nearly impossible for me to add something new to my life. And so today, that's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about margin. And in order to get margin in your life, we need to stop. We need to pause. We need to rest. I just did some reading on the American life, and the average American sleeps 2.5 hours less a day than they did 100 years ago. The average American work week is longer than it was 50 years ago. So what we do is we sleep less and we work more. The margin isn't there. Dr. Richard Swinson, who wrote a book on this topic, says that we end up being chronically rushed, chronically late, and chronically exhausted. We have too much activity, too many choices, too much work, too much debt, too much media. He said, if you're homeless, we give you shelter. If you're penniless, we give you food stamps. If you're breathless, we connect you to oxygen. But if you're marginless, we just give you one more thing to do. And he explained what we need is time to think, time to relax, time to be still and know that God is God. And Jesus teaches the exact same thing. Jesus says that we are designed as people to stop. And so I want to walk through a very simple story about Jesus that's going to have a big principle for you in your life when it comes to stopping. And then I'm actually going to give you one small challenge that you can take home with you today. And so the story that we're going to be in is in Mark 2. And this is how it begins. One Sabbath day, as Jesus was walking through some grain fields, his disciples began breaking off heads of grain to eat. But the Pharisees said to Jesus, look, Why are they breaking the law by harvesting grain on the Sabbath? Now, here's what's going on. The Sabbath is a day of rest where Jewish people were supposed to abstain from work. This is actually one of the Ten Commandments. And the commandment said, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. And in Jesus' time, there were two extremes when it came to approaching the Sabbath. The first was legalism, right? In an effort to understand and obey the command, religious leaders asked the questions, how do we define work? And they actually came up with a list of 1,521 different ways that you could violate this command by working on the Sabbath. And I'll give you a few examples. You weren't allowed to tie a knot on the Sabbath. 
You weren't allowed to walk more than 750 yards from your house on the Sabbath. You weren't allowed to kill a mosquito on the Sabbath. All of those things and 1,500 more were considered work. Now, the second extreme, as you can imagine, was liberalism, right? People said, I can't keep track of 1,500 rules, so instead of just trying to rest at all, we're just gonna ignore it, right? We're not even gonna try it. We're not even gonna do it. It's too hard to figure out. And the Sabbath refers specifically to the day of Sunday. And so if you have Jewish friends or you have Jewish coworkers and people who practice Judaism, you will know that they won't respond to emails or texts on Saturday, specifically if they're work-related, because they're obeying the Jewish command to not work on the Sabbath, to not work on Saturday. Now, let me talk for a second about how this impacts the Christian church. Christians don't practice the Sabbath the same way that Jewish people do. In fact, if a Christian ever tells you that you have to practice the Sabbath by not working on Sunday, you'll know that they actually don't know what they're talking about because the Sabbath, in definition, is the Saturday. It's actually Friday at 5 p.m. to Saturday at 5 p.m. And so in Judaism, the most important day of the week is Saturday, but in the Christian church, the most important day of the week is Sunday. So why is that? It's because the foundational act of our faith is Jesus rising from the grave. Right? He was seen so his hope, our hope is real. He was seen so we know that the promises came true. But he didn't, if he didn't rise from the grave, our faith is useless. And that's not me saying that. Scripture teaches in 1 Corinthians 15, 14, if Jesus didn't raise from the dead, we are all wasting our time doing this right now. But Jesus gave up his own life as a sacrifice for us. Then he rose from the grave three days later on a Sunday. So from the very beginning, the church has always celebrated Sunday as its primary day. In Acts chapter 2, the church is born on the first day of the week. In Acts chapter 20, they gather on the first day of the week to celebrate communion. In Romans 16, the author writes, gather your offerings and give them when you get together as a church on the first day of the week. This is why most churches do church on Sunday mornings. But we're not legalistic about it. So the day of the week that we have church is more of a tradition than anything else. It's what we call a non-essential, meaning it doesn't impact salvation, the day of the week that you go to church doesn't impact salvation and it doesn't impact the character of God. In fact, if you're new to Collective, you've been coming for a, week, a few weeks, you're coming during a very exciting season for our church. Last November, we did a capital campaign to start raising money so that we could get into our own space, so we can lease our own 24-7 space. And our goal was to raise $250,000, but the people who call Collective their church home committed $350,000. It was amazing. I'm okay with celebrating that more. To date, $115,000 have already been given. We have 10 months left of this campaign. But the reason why I bring this up is because one of our dreams and one of our goals as a staff is that in three or four years, we want to be able to have two services on Sunday and one on Monday night. And the reason for that is because thousands of people in our county work in customer service. And do you know where they can't be right now? Church. And so what we want to do is we want to get into a space and we want to provide an opportunity for anybody who can't be at church right now and bring a service to them, right? That's one of the goals that we have as a church. And the reason why we can do that is because it's not legalism, right? Because we can do church on Sunday and we can do church on Monday, right? Because realistically, we know the church met on Sundays. It was traditionally the day of the week, but that's what it is. It's tradition. And so in this story, the Pharisees or the religious leaders are being uh, legalistic, because all the disciples are doing is they're walking through a grain field and plucking off a kernel of grain, just one little kernel. And the Pharisees begin to lose their mind and tell Jesus that the disciples are working on the Sabbath. And what they're actually trying to do is they're actually trying to point out to Jesus that they think what they're doing is sin. Right? They're saying that they're walking out of alignment with what God wants for them. 
But this is how Jesus responds. Jesus said to them, haven't you ever read in the scriptures what David did when he and his companions were hungry? And so this is what Jesus is doing. He does this from time to time. He begins to quote the Old Testament, right? And that's a battle you can't win. You know, anytime you go up against Jesus, when it comes to the Bible, you will lose, right? And we do that. We do that all the time. We try to argue with Jesus about sex, about marriage, about money. Don't do it. You cannot argue with Jesus about what the Bible teaches. He's gonna win every time. And that's exactly what happens. He continues, he went into the house of God during the days when Abiathar was high priest and broke the law by eating the sacred loaves of bread that only the priests are allowed to eat. He also gave some to his companions. Now the Pharisees revered their ancestor, David. And Jesus is reminding them of a story when David was starving and he showed up and he asked Abiathar if he had anything to eat. And he says, we only have this holy bread. And so what David did was he took it. He fed himself and his men because it was either that or starvation. And Jesus' point is, it wasn't about the rule because the rule was for people. Right? The rule was created to help people. And so Jesus goes on to say, the Sabbath was made to meet the needs of people and not people to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. So what Jesus is saying is, God wasn't sitting up in heaven trying to think up rules just to arbitrarily, arbitrarily have you follow them. Right? The Sabbath was created for your benefit. God says, your life will be better if one day a week you stop. I mean, the word Sabbath literally means to rest, to cease, to pause. And in the story, the Pharisees are too busy focusing on trying to catch the disciples doing something wrong. And Jesus says, hold on one second, this rule is for you. This rule is so that you can experience a better life, a less stressful life, a more peaceful life. Jesus is explaining, I made this rule because I love you and I want what's best for you. And what's best for us is rest. And so Jesus says, it's in your best interest to stop one day a week. And I know what some of you are thinking, right? You're thinking that's crazy. You don't know my industry. You don't know my boss. You don't know my job. But here's one thing I do know. One business where you don't take off a day every single week is the restaurant business, right? But when Truett Cathy opened his first restaurant in 1946, he decided he would honor God and close every single Sunday. And it's expanded and the restaurants have never wavered. And today all 2,300 Chick-fil-A restaurants are closed on Sunday. And Truett Cathy said, our decision to close on Sunday was our way of honoring God and directing our attention to things that are more important than our business. If it took seven days to make a living with a restaurant, we needed to be in some other line of work. Every single one of you are craving Chick-fil-A right now. I'm really sorry. You're gonna just have to do that tomorrow. But here's the point. Would Chick-fil-A make money if they were open on Sunday? Yes, they would make a lot of money because all church people would be like, we have to go to Chick-fil-A. Does it look like a good business decision to close on Sundays? No, but Chick-fil-A continually wins awards for best in service. And since 2016, their sales per store were higher than McDonald's, Subway, Starbucks, Chipotle, and Panera. Right, Truett Cathy, as a leader, said, God, I believe you can do more in our six days than what we can do in seven days. And that's exactly what's happened. Okay, now I know what you're thinking more, right? You heard that and you're like, okay, good argument. But I, but I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, I don't have time to stop, right? I don't have time to rest. I don't have time to pause. A few months ago, I was talking with one of, my, one of my friends named Curtis and I was lamenting how busy I was. And one thing that Curtis always asks me and we talk every single Friday is, what day are you taking off this week? And for two years, Curtis has heard me make excuses about why it's so hard for me to take a regular day off every single week. And for two years, he's humored me. 
But when we were talking about it a few months ago, it was evident that he was tired of my excuses. And so in the middle of my complaining about not having enough time to rest, he said, is, that, is it that you don't have time or that it isn't a priority for you? Jordan Peterson says it like this. When we say, I don't have enough time, what we're really saying is this actually isn't important to me. This doesn't fit my priorities. Now think about it. It's not that you don't have time to rest. It's that it's just not that important to you. Or at least is it more important than the 50 other things that you think you need to do right now? And the same principle can be applied to anything in your life. I don't have time for my friends really means they aren't a priority. I don't have time to work out, not a priority. I don't have time to sit down with a counselor, not a priority. I don't have time for Netflix. We don't say that, <laughs> right? So we need to make rest a priority. We have the time, we just need to find it. Listen, I, I'm not speaking to you today from a place of excelling at this. I am legitimately terrible at resting. Most Sundays, I feel super confident in what I'm teaching you because I try to teach from a place of setting an example. And if I can't set the example, I try to teach from a place of growth or some area of my life that, that I'm like moving forward in. But that is not the case for me when it comes to rest. I, I just don't do it. I work constantly. I make myself available at all hours a day at the cost of sleep and my family, and my mental health. In, in fact, last January, we did a series called Musicology, and one of the topics was rest, and I chose not to teach on the Sabbath because I'm so bad at taking a break. And so what I did is I ran away from it. And ultimately, I know as your lead pastor, like I'm hurting you because things I'm not good at, I'm afraid to talk about, and that hurts you as well. And the truth is, I know why I do this. Most of you who live this lifestyle, you know why you do this. And for me, it's because throughout my life, I've been told that I'm not a good enough pastor and I won't be good enough. And so I work relentlessly to prove that I am. And I work nonstop because I don't want to let people down because letting people down makes it seem like I've failed, which makes me feel like I've proved what those people have said about me in the past. And the truth is they aren't even in my life anymore, but they dictate so much of what I do. And so today, I'm not teaching from a place of wisdom. If you come up and talk to me after, after second service, I have no advice for you outside of what the Bible teaches. But I'm teaching you today from a place of need. Like, I need this. And I know you do too. This is also why I need a counselor and go talk to a counselor all the time. You should also do that. So the big picture today is that God wants you to stop one day a week. And since you carry around a cell phone that makes you available to the world 24-7, that's very hard. But God wants you to have one day a week where you don't respond to work emails, where you don't text clients back, where you don't go do some long range business planning. If you're a student, God wants you to take one day a week where you don't do homework. It should not be Monday through Thursday. It needs to be Friday, Saturday, or Sunday. But God wants us to stop one day a week and rest. Now, I was asked one time, how does this apply to stay-at-home parents? It means you don't change diapers for a whole day. Don't do that. That's terrible parenting. But when I was asked this, I told the person I, I didn't really know. And so I did what I do in those types of situations. And I, I looked up a sermon uh, by a pastor named Andy Stanley. He's like Yoda when it comes to church. Um, but he said this, when people ask me how this applies to stay-at-home parents, here's my answer. And I quote, I have no idea. But I do know it's possible for you to set aside one day a week where you don't do laundry, where you're not going to clean, where you're going to do minimal cooking. Some of the single guys are like, that's my life already. You gotta figure that out on your own. Now, Jesus does say that if your ox is in a ditch on the Sabbath, you get it out, meaning if there's an emergency, you don't ignore it. But I know for me, I've realized that most of the things in my life that I feel are an emergency are not. 
And so Jesus teaches that it is in your best interest if one day a week you look at your work and you stop, you pause, you take a deep breath, you rest. And if you own a business or maybe you lead a department um, that you influence or a sales team, the idea that you lead other people, and this is a challenge for myself as well because that's what I do here at Collective. The challenge is one day a week, shut everything down. Because the truth is if you lead people and you are not creating margin in your own life, you are forcing them to do the exact same thing in their life. And so if you are a business owner, you are partly responsible for the fact that you do not allow your people to rest. And I'm speaking from my own experience as well when it comes to the staff here at Chick-fil-A. Chick-fil-A. Dang it, now I'm gonna have to go eat Chick-fil-A at Collective. But the truth is, and we know this, our country, our world would be better and healthier if more businesses did what Chick-fil-A did. If more people and more opportunities exist where we take off one day a week. Now, I hope you take this principle of taking one day off a week seriously, but I wanna take a few moments to actually narrow it down even further as we try to get to a place where we, we hate Mondays a little bit less. And so today I want you to stop and I know like beginning of the year, New Year's resolutions, there's some big changes you need to make and there's some things that you know that you need to start, but first you need to stop. And so here's my challenge for today. Stop doing one thing. I want you to pick one thing in your life that you're gonna stop doing, just one thing. And I know most of us, if you were here last week, you did that priority list, there's probably 20 things that you could write down right now, right? And if you brought that to your spouse or your friends, they would agree with you that those are all things that you need to get rid of but we know how it is. If we try to stop 20 things, the truth is we stop none of them. And so I want you to pick one thing that will give you margin in your life and stop that thing. And for some of you, maybe it's stop working one day a week, right? Maybe it's stop going to that place, get rid of that video game, delete that app, remove that relationship. Maybe it's to stop using your cell phone at a certain time when you should be taking a day off or when you should be spending quality time with your kids or your spouse. Now, by the way, if you're part of the team here, you go to a small group here, this isn't like a, I'm gonna go home and tell people I don't have margin to be a part of the church, right? You, you have that time, right? You don't stop serving, you don't stop connecting, you don't stop giving. We're talking about getting rid of things in your life that are preventing us from having the life that God wants us to. That's where you start. We talked about this last week. Start with the things that do not bring value to your life and you cannot bring value to those things. Some of you need to stop something so that you can take a next step in your faith. Some of you need to stop something so that you can invest in this church that you call your church home. Some of you need to stop something so that you can make Jesus a priority in 2020 and do something different than last year. Maybe you need to stop your Netflix subscription. Most of you are like, it's not even my password. You can still get rid of the app, okay? Maybe you need to stop visiting that website or reading that or watching that or shopping there or going there. Maybe you need to stop following her or all of them. Maybe you need to stop drinking. Maybe you need to have one day a week where you don't watch TV. How about one day a week where you don't use your phone? What about one day a week where you don't use your computer? Pick one thing that you're going to stop. And, and don't make it so big that it takes all the willpower in the world, right? Because we're talking about this series is, is, is small steps that lead to big change. There are small things that you can do right now that can change this entire year for you if you commit to it. And so pick one thing that you know is achievable and stop that thing so you can have more margin. Now, some of you need to stop something at the source, meaning I have a friend who has a dumb phone. He has a phone without internet because he, know, he knows that he needs to stop what he was doing. He needs to stop it at the source. So he just totally got rid of it. I know someone who blocked her number. Better yet, just delete her number. I know someone who got rid of their gaming system. Pick one thing and stop it legitimately. And that means sometimes you kind of go a little bit bigger and stop it at the source. 
When I look back at my life, there are a series of stopping things that have borne great things in my life. Last January, I stopped drinking soda. It was with a bet with Tabby. It's still going. It's never going to end. But I would go out of my way multiple times a day to grab a soda. When I had a headache, I craved soda. When I was stressed out, I craved soda. So I cut it from my life, and I do not miss it at all. In fact, a month later, I had a really hard day, and I called my wife, and I was like, I really want Mountain Dew right now. And she's like, you're probably an addict, right? (laughs) But you don't know those things until you start cutting things from your life that do not bring value. Ray and I made a decision when we got married that we wouldn't put a television in our room. I had a television in my room for 10 years, and I wanted to stop doing that. We're not going to watch late-night basketball that neither of us care about. We're not going to watch the news, which is just depressing anyways. We're not going to let TV distract us from the little time that we have together. And all of those things are small, but collectively, they've borne great things in my life. I believe that they are making me who Jesus wants me to be. And the whole idea today, and really this, this whole series, is counterintuitive. We live in a culture that constantly tells us to do more, right? To add, add, add. You feel like you've got to start something new or initiate something or change something or add this new thing to your life. That's all that society wants us to do. But before we do that, we need to stop. We need margin. We need to take a small step that leads to a big change. Now, I've tried to make this really practical today. Uh, Our goal is that you do these things in January, and by the time you get to the end of the year, you can say, man, I made these small changes, and it led me uh, to a better year. But, But more importantly, our goal is that you stop things to move you closer to Jesus. Because on a spiritual level, the first step of getting connected with God is to stop trying to be good enough on your own. Right? You try and you try and you try. You try to be a good person. You try to clean up your act. You try to get better by yourself. Just stop. Maybe my favorite promise of Jesus is Matthew 11. He says, come to me all who are weary and carry heavy burdens and I will give you rest. Another translation says that you will learn to live freely and lightly. And the truth is that's why most of us are here. Like we know we need rest in our life, but we actually need rest for our soul. And so I can give you a super practical teaching that makes your week easier, that makes your 2020 better. But the truth is most of this you can learn in books, right? You can learn from TED Talks, you can learn on a blog. But Jesus promises you rest for your souls if you want it. And that's so much better than rest from time. And so if you're a follower of Jesus, today is a day where you figure out what you need to stop. You may not even need to pray about it because you probably already know what it is. Don't stress about it. Just do it. Pick one thing, even if it feels small, but pick one thing that you need to stop. Now, if you're not a follower of Jesus, we're very glad that you're here. Collective is a church where you can belong before you believe. And as much as I want you to stop working one day a week, and as much as I want you to pick one practical thing, one small thing to stop, the real question that we have for you is, what will it take for you to stop resisting God? What would it take for you to stop trying to be good enough? What would it take for you to stop living on your own and realizing that you need God and other people? What will it take for you to stop running from the promises of God? Because the truth is, we want rest. We're tired. We feel it. Everything that we do makes us more and more exhausted. But Jesus promises real rest and rest for our souls. And so our hope is you stop saying no to that. You stop pushing that away. You stop running from that in a lot of cases. And our hope is that you say yes to the endless second chances that he offers. 
You say yes to the forgiveness that he offers. Say yes to the life that he offers. And the truth is, the way that we celebrate that here at Collective is when people put their faith in him, they get baptized. And we're gonna celebrate Kara today, who is making the decision to stop being afraid, to stop feeling like she has to be perfect, and to start fully trusting in God. And if you are in that place and you are ready to stop pursuing the things in your life that bring no value and want to pursue the thing that brings the most value, we want to walk with you through that. We encourage you every single week to check the baptism box on the connection card so we can have a conversation because we want you to stop what you're doing so that you can find real rest. Jesus wants to give you grace and there is nothing better. There's nothing better that you could receive than rest for your soul. And so for all of us, I hope we stop working one day a week. I hope we can find something small that we're gonna stop because Jesus doesn't want you to be exhausted. Jesus doesn't want you running ragged. Jesus doesn't want you to have a priority list full of things that bring no value to your life or your relationships or your career or more importantly, your relationship with him. He wants you to have margin. He created you to rest and that's why he created the Sabbath. So what do you need to stop? Let's pray. God, we live in a culture where it's just so much easier to add. God, if we're being honest with ourselves, though, the more we add, um, the worse our life gets, the more tired we get. God, to be honest, the, the more things that we add, the less we do things well. God, all it does is wear us down. And so, God, uh, we come to you today worn out, tired, God, we physically feel it, but God, mostly we, we emotionally feel it. We mentally feel worn out. We spiritually feel exhausted. And so God, we're here today and we read your promises that you will give us rest. God, that you will give us real rest, true rest for our soul. And God, we want that. So God, I, I pray this week that we can take steps to remove some things from our life that bring no value remove some things from our life that just constantly weigh us down and stress us out. God, we can create margin. But God, I pray when we do that, when we take that step, when we create that margin in our lives, ultimately we take that space that we have and figure out how to move closer to you in that real rest. God, help us figure out how to take a deep breath, how to pause. But God, ultimately, to help us figure out how to move closer to you. God, we thank you that you want what's best for us. God, that you want us to take a deep breath and we want us to rest. God, that you want us to be healthy. But God, I just pray this week we can take a step closer to that. God, we love you and pray this in your name. Amen.